record. What needs to be done, as we've discussed, is go and go and steal a white. It's all white on the night. So there's a <laughs> <laughs> zing. <laughs> Holy shit! It's Gendry. All right, gather them up, lads. Gather them up. Who had Gendry returns in season seven? Because if if somebody put a bet on that, they would have cleaned up. This is rubbish. No. Holy crap. What is going on? Dave, Dan, Bubby, let's sit. Let's talk. This has gone wrong. (laughs) Fuck. Hello and welcome to Shark Live Royal. I'm Matt. I'm Dave. Hello. And this week, Dave, we are looking at Game of Thrones episode five. What's this one called? Eastwatch. Eastwatch. That's it. You got my title. I did, I've got you, Matt. Don't worry about it. I have subsidiary facts. <laughs> I'm here for your subsidiary facts. Eastwatch. We came into this episode thinking, well, this is must be where like it all kicks off at Eastwatch. Not quite, but uh, we're, we're <laughs> <laughs> that's totally true. This one naming an episode after the place that we assume all of the the White Walkers are coming to. If I feel was a little misleading. Uh, you know, we've had Hard Home in the past, and that, oh my word, the shit, Matt, was not fake there. That was not fake shit. It was real shit. The shit became real. Here, I this, it's, I would describe it as a competent setup episode. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. I enjoyed it, but it wasn't the balls-to-the-wall thriller that I, I was maybe expecting. <laughs> we were confidently expecting <laughs> Um, but it certainly sets up next week's episode. But um, let's let's not let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's start off with where the where, where the episode begins, and that was uh, we ended on a cliffhanger. Is Jamie dead? He got sort of thrown into the water. He's been dragged down to the depths by his armor um, after surviving this um, blast of fire from the dragon. Um, he has survived. The uh, bastards. <laughs> the bastards. <laughs> The scene opens with um, Bron and ja- Bron coming to the surface of the water and pulling Jamie out. C- quite the undercurrent in this river as they've come up, um, sort of a-, a good half a mile away from the battle when they landed right next to the dragon. Don't worry about it. <laughs> oh, oh, Matt. Oh, oh, I did. The problem is, I did worry about it. Yeah. I did worry about it, and I still do. Yeah. So luckily they're far enough away to not be caught up in the general sort of surrendering troops. And um, oh, no, more, more than that, Matt, they're far enough away that they've managed to get away from the recently literally scorched earth yeah. of the battlefield. In how long can a human being in full armor stay stay alive underwater? Sixty seconds. Yeah. That's a minute what I mean. and a half. S- strong undertow on that river. Strong, strong fucking undercurrent. There must have been a pissing conveyor belt down there because they've come out. <laughs> They've popped out, by the way, since when could Bron swim in his own armour and haul up somebody else Jamie's size in his armour as well? Oh, no, no, like, we, we said this last week. He doesn't wear armour. It's, it's, it's his kind of thing. Oh, uh, of course it is. All right, fair enough. So all he needs to do is haul a six-foot-two whatever hero of flipping with muscle with, with a hand, Matt, made out of solid gold, a gold hand, Matt, haul him up out of the depths into what turns out to be really, really quite a nicely lit 
kind of quite peaceful environment. You know, you you can well imagine finding that on you know Airbnb somewhere in the Scottish Highlands. I would say. I think you can imagine that nice, nice summer sunset going on down. Absolutely no sign of a battlefield or a terrifying dragon. Yeah, yeah. Not sure and, what's really and, and going also, on there, a, Matt. Truth be told, even though Bronn doesn't wear full plate armor, he still wears leather armor, and you don't see many sort of Olympic swimmers going into the pool decked out in full leather armor <laughs> for a reason. That's not particularly helpful for swimming either. Um, no. But yeah, they've. Um, we'll have to sort of, I suppose, set this to one side and, and accept it because it, it is a it does it is a nice shot. I'll give him that. And um, uh, it's beautiful. It's, yeah. it's it's very lovely. But in the same way as I respond poorly to a delightfully shot version of the friggin' Death Star in Game of Thrones, I respond poorly to this shot, lovely though it may be, because it doesn't contain any dragons or any battlefield. <laughs> So um, Jamie's going to head back to King's Landing to tell Cersei the bad news about the battle. And Bronn's basically saying, you know, if these dragons are about, that's the last I'm doing fighting for the Lannisters because we can't win. Which is true. Yeah. Surely. He's not wrong, is he? Yeah. The um, the reality's dawning on some other Lannisters as we go to, I assume, what will forever be called Drogon Hill now, or Dragon Hill. With this massive dragon sitting <laughs> on a hill looking out over these... Um, the remaining Lannister soldiers, and they're told to... You know, Daenerys basically says, surrender or die. Most of them surrender, especially once the dragon starts sort of roaring. Um, but then we then we have uh, the return of Tali and Son, uh, specialists in grain collection, soldier whipping, and being burned alive by dragon fire, it turns out. <laughs> <laughs> Tali and Son, pig-headed moral positions taken and not surrendered. <laughs> yeah, so um, so these these two will refuse to um, to to sort of surrender or bend the knee. Um, and Daenerys, as we say, decides to execute them by burning them alive. And this is. Uh, this is despite Tyrion urging her to take a different course, at least lock them up for a while, or at least just kill one of them, or if you're going to kill both of them, at least maybe behead them rather than burn them alive. Um, yeah, I, I also thought this um, from the sort of the Tarly point of view. I thought I thought um, Clive Tarly Randall um, gave a really good performance. A moment where his son steps forward and he he basically yeah. says, you know surrender and his son refuses to there's this lovely shot where there's a mixture of sort of um sadness and a little bit of pride and love on um on his dad's face i just thought that was really well really well acted because this is a character that has been we saw flashes of this in that sort of um scene uh, last season where he's sitting around the table but there is a little bit of humanity to more humanity to tarly than say tywin lannister or someone like that very much. I mean, it's very dependent upon you being, you fitting the model that he believes all men should follow, right? Yeah. We've seen, yeah. again, you know, he was willing to murder Sam because he wasn't he wasn't up to snuff as a potential lord. Hmm. Um, so he's, I, I'd say his, uh, his, his compassion exists in a fairly narrow spectrum, but it does exist. <laughs> and he, he can really see the heartbreak. And you're right, it was a great performance from this guy. Hmm. And what do you think about this about this decision by Daenerys? And A, is it a good decision? And B, what does it say about where her character's going? 
Well, I mean, it's a good, it's a good question because you don't know, like, you know, like I was saying last week, the first moment the dragons fly out over the battlefield, you know, was enough to make me like, holy crap, unless the person wielding these dragons is unfailingly good at every point, hmm. which Daenerys has perhaps has needed to be ruthless at certain points, but hasn't really flinched from being a bastard when she needs to be. Um, like, yeah, I'm nervous about this. Although, mm. on the other hand, I don't really see what the what the alternative was. Like, Tyrion was making a good argument for mercy, as he always does. But she's really ceasing to listen to his arguments for mercy. You know, she's really seeing them as weakness. Mm. And that's a very dangerous position. Uh, both for a hand of the queen, but also for everybody else the queen interacts with. If she's got it in her head that her role in the relationship is to be the bad cop and she has three dragons, that's a really bad cop. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I kind of, I was kind of half with Tyrion. I think the way she sh- maybe should have done it is, yeah, you kill Tarly Senior and maybe sort of lock up Tarly Junior for a bit till he decides, oh, you know what? I'm actually a little grateful that I wasn't killed too. And then you, you keep a, a major house on side. Problem is when you, yeah. like Tyrion says, you start executing all the uh, all the leaders of the major houses, you just get resentful people who pledge the loyalty to you, but are going to stab you in the back the moment they get the chance. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and like, and it's a solid argument. And her argument in return is, yeah, but if you start mercy, mercy looks like weakness. You know, they don't know me from Adam. They need to be scared of me. Mm. And I would be, I'd be more open to that argument if I thought that I saw her having a strategy. Mm. Like, I actually think the depiction of Daenerys has been really interesting in this in this season. We spent more and more time with her as a queen, you know, as a conqueror, um, entering into this Westerosi context. And the thing is, she's really good at being a queen and tactics. And, uh, but I don't see her doing the long-term thinking of, look, in order to do this, I need to do this, which means this, which means we're going to go here, which means this needs to happen, mm. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, she's not doing that. Like, she's not really making the argument, you know, you know, be a hard-ass up front and then everybody be scared of you. She's just going, no, you've got to kill them. You've got to you've got to kill all the opponents. That's what is what kinghood is, isn't it? And there's just a bit too close to her father in that, if you ask me. Hmm. But um, yeah, yeah. Uh, we, we, we then cut to uh, Jamie and Cersei. A very short scene where Jamie basically says, "Look, we can't win this," and Cersei yeah. says, "Well, if that's the case, we've got to just die trying because we can't sue for peace." She's probably right there. She's not the, the Lannisters, especially Jamie and Cersei. They're not. They're not getting out of this alive, um, I wouldn't have thought, if they surrender, no. especially considering what we've just no. seen happen to Tarly. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And and so Cersei's got a decent point. But the problem is that if you're asking me to empathise in this scene, it's not going to happen because usually Jamie is a surrogate for my empathy, but I am so angry that he is still alive <laughs> and that they, have, that, they, that they have betrayed the whole glorious story arc that got them to this point. Having Jamie die at the end of that battle would have been fucking amazing, right? <laughs> um, and the fact that he's still alive means I'm just sitting there. And this, is, this, this was not an unfamiliar feeling to me over this, def- over this episode of just being like, just being quite angry really about like, <laughs> right, You've done this 
for transparently non-plot serving reasons like oh you've done this because of the mechanics you need to have jamie in the room so you can have him talk to cersei because that's the only way you ever get cersei to get real with anybody is to have jamie in the room so that's why he's there we can't have any scenes with cersei speaking her mind unless jamie is there to be an exposition hole and that's not good enough like it was such a good story arc up to him sinking weighed down by his own armor it weighs you down they even put it in the pissing script and then they bring him back because of you know magically strong underwater conveyor belt and bronze suspiciously well-developed biceps no absolutely not (laughs) you're not buying are you with that one i'm not having it Um, i am not having it um then we we, we move on to to john the cliff um Oh no! We've, hang on, we've missed we've missed the bit where, for no reason whatsoever, <laughs> Cersei is pregnant. No, we've not. No, no, that comes up later. Oh fuck! Sorry, <laughs> my bad. I got I got you, mate. I got you. Don't worry. Oh, sorry, that, we'll, sorry. We'll be onto that in a bit. I should I should well have learned by now not to question your ability to lead us through a plot. Um, so, so move on to to John and the Cliff and. Um, the uh, Drogon lands uh, behind him and then sort of runs over <laughs> this weird like <light laughs> Drogon the dragon. Sorry. Um, and he sort of he sort of lets John pet him. Um, this is yeah. Yeah, he's like, hey, hey, John, how's it going? Maybe because he's a, <laughs> obviously a, one of the fam. Um, yeah, and, I, yeah. I love that. I love that. That like, hey, John, you want to do some wordless exposition? <laughs> I'm just going to come up to you with my massive many rows of teeth and you just pet me quietly on the nose and everything's going to be all right because we need to show this plot is continuing. <laughs> um, I thought the special effects were really good with this. Like the, the, the whole yeah. sort of appearance of the dragon is... I think when you have them sort of up close like, like this, you, you really get to see um, how much better they are from a few seasons ago. Where there was that sort of the one over the fighting pits in Marine, it was like a rubber dragon. That was, <laughs> it um, was great. Yeah, um, John and Daenerys have this conversation about you know John's a bit similar to Tyrion. You know, you sh- should you really be using these dragons to fry all these people? And um, Daenerys has the sort of you know you got to do what you got to do conversation. Was hell. Um, yeah, we we got onto almost talking about this. Did did you really take a knife in the heart, John? Um, but it's interrupted because uh, Jorah's returned. Da, da, da. Your grace, <laughs> he doesn't say. He, he doesn't quite say Khaleesi, which is a is a massive disappointment for me. <sighs> they just don't know how to do fan service on this TV series anymore. <laughs> do they? all I want, Matt. All I want is Ian Glenn looking down the lens of the camera and going Khaleesi. And they won't do it. <laughs> oh, I'm so outpaced by your Ian Glenn impression now. You're so much better at it than I am. I was, I was thinking that was a little disappointing, actually, from from my point of view. But oh well, for, for your exalted standards, perhaps. Yeah. But it sounded pretty good to me. <laughs> um. So yeah, so Jorah's back, and he's he's accepted back into the service. This is a nice nice moment, isn't it? Jorah returns. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 emotional, although. There is a piece of me which feels this is an example of something that is happening with increasing frequency through this series, which is how far away is Old Town? And oh, how yeah, badly scarred was he, having had a scalpel taken to literally every inch of the skin on his body? 
and now he's just kind of all like ruggedly well hewn and put back together and able to take an extremely long journey end up on Dragonstone yeah. all ready to be like Khaleesi <laughs> and I am on board with that I am on board because it's Ian Glenn going Khaleesi <laughs> but seriously how fucking far away is that on horseback where previously they would have taken half the, half the series over a journey like that yeah yeah um, there is I mean this is quite quite clearly and a, a, a lot of people have said this about this this series especially this um this season they are playing much more fast and loose aren't they with all of the um like moving pieces around and is it realistic for this person to get here and are the realistic things being done we kind of they're kind of ditching a bit of that just to rattle through it to and sort of they're substituting that realism for pace aren't they and um, they are. It's. I mean, on the one hand, I think it's great because it does mean that you do feel like you're on a roller coaster when you're watching it. But on the other hand, yeah, yeah. I do miss that sort of more realistic grounding that it always had. Even with the weird magic stuff going on, you always felt like yeah. when people move one place to the other, it kind of kind of felt right. I mean, there was some examples where people were flying across distances that seemed too quick but nothing yeah. like on the scale that we see in this season. And it, it, it is a no, problem for some people, yeah. I think. And it Absolute, does, does make me feel a little uncomfortable sometimes too. Yeah, I'm definitely one of the people for whom it's a problem because I, I sort of feel like I've been yanked around. Not so much because it's unrealistic, because this is a world containing, you know, dragons and fireproof skin and, and on and on and on and on and on, right? Like, mm. I'm comfortable with um, with creating an unreal universe my problem is with them changing the rules of that unreal universe halfway through mm. where previously it's taken such a long time to get from a to b to the point where it's become formative of whole characters you know Arya stark is the way she is because it takes such a pissing long time to travel around westeros <laughs> and now like suddenly because you need character a in location b which is by coincidence an awful long way from origin point c it just happens. Mm. And I actually feel like I've kind of been, like, they've often yanked us around as as viewers in putting in scenes which are really unpleasant to witness purely in order to add towards, like, the kind of epic scale of character. So I think of what Theon's like now and how many fucking scenes they put into him being horribly tortured by uh, Ramsay Bolton. Mm. Um, like... That's like those scenes were excruciating, and they did it in order to build a character. And by doing that, what they're saying is this will be worth it in the end. We need to spend this amount of time over it in order for this character to respond in a certain way at a certain point in the plot later on, mm. right? And they've done that again and again and again. It's part of the, the organizing logic of this story universe that it takes a long time to do anything. And you know what? In, in, in Amongst all the popular culture, this is going to be the series where we show what epic means. Epic is going to be fucking epic. It's going to take a long time to get anything done. And I've resented that because I'm a child of my generation and I have the attention span of a stunned sparrow. But actually, because of this series, I've got into it. Mm. And I'm now like, all right, cool, right, you know, I'm operating on this, like, long metabolism thing, this, like, slow burn. You know, it takes seven years for winter to arrive. Wicked sick, let's do it, let's make it happen. And now they've just gone, for reasons that aren't clear to me, decided that seven episodes rather than ten is necessary to throw entire plot lines overboard and to make it possible for somebody to get from A to B essentially by hyperloop mm. in this otherwise medieval environment. And that's like... I, 
I've, I'm finding it really frustrating, Matt. To be honest with you, I, I feel like they've they've really they've gone they've started being a TV series rather than a TV series based on a book. Well, yeah, but I suppose that's the problem, isn't it? And I think this might be the um, the, the one big problem with the series, from what I can tell, compared to other TV long written TV series, has had fewer like issues in the like behind the scenes. But the big one that this has had is basically the writers started this adapting a book and yeah. they've got to the stage now where there's no book left um, when there should have been one. So they've basically, when they started doing this, they were given a load of plot points for the end, like the final final two books, effectively. They were given like, I think there was like a, a number of points that George Martin said, this is what happens broadly. I've just not written it yet. And yeah. he's still not written it. And now they've got to the stage where these guys who are creating the show on the basis, on the understanding that they were going to adapt a book, like you say, they're now having to just write yeah. it from scratch effectively. But not even that, they've got to write it based on these points they've been given. And I can imagine yeah. them sitting down with him saying, okay, so this happens and then this happens. How do we get from this to this? And he's just sort of shrugs his shoulders and says, oh, I don't know. And, and then, and then right. suddenly everybody realises this is why he hasn't written the bloody thing yet because he, he's no idea. <laughs> he hasn't worked it out. Yeah, and although and, and while, while he's had however many years to sort of sit and ponder it, these guys have got a few months to get it bashed out. Yeah. And I think you can see that coming through now. Yeah, but I mean... and. I mean, at this point, I'm definitely playing sort of armchair football. I need to be very careful about this because I've never run a multi-million dollar TV franchise. Mm. But I'm quite surprised that they're doing it with such, such like, cack-handed approach to tone. Mm. Like, like the, the just the feel of it. Like, they've broken the feel of the TV series to me. Like, they've, it's, it's become a sugar rush where it used to be a full meal. Mm. And... You know, I might not have enjoyed a lot of the components of that meal at a certain point, but it was what it was, and now I feel like it is something else. Mm. And, I mean, maybe they've done that out of respect. Maybe their respect for George Martin is so great that they're like, you know what, rather than improvise in the gaps, because that will screw with your creative process as the primary creator of this story universe, we are just going to do the beats mm. and skip from A to B and do it like a TV series in order that the books are great. I mean, that would be an extraordinarily self-sacrificing thing to do. Um, maybe they have that much respect for him. If so, fair enough. But I feel like it's hold the TV series under the waterline as far as I can see at this point. Certainly if they carry on doing it in this way. Like, I'm I'm, I'm really, I'm concerned. Mm. Um, feels very flyweight. See, I've, I've always enjoyed the TV series more than you have, I think. Because I, I remember a series sort of five, you saying similar things about in general about oh too many characters are dying for no reason now and it feels it feels lightweight and yeah i think when they've shifted the sort of tone of it because it does feel like a um, a different series in tone especially from the early uh, the early episodes now hmm. um although i'll tell you one thing that's changed massively is um there's far less sex in it now i was re-watching series two <laughs> yeah. and i was just amazed yeah. at just how much sex there is on screen compared to what we've had in the last few seasons but also yeah now, yeah. now they're moving more quickly and they've said, well, you know, we'll sort of tip the, the scales more towards spectacle and away from this sort of careful world building. Um, yeah. I haven't minded it. Some, I, I would say um, I'm enjoying this series just as much as series one, but just in a different sort of watching it in a slightly different way, expecting slightly mm. different things because 
the spectacle is so much better than season. I think someone did a comparison of like greatest battle in season one, and it's basically Ned and Jamie going one to one, and it's like yeah. best battle so far in season seven, and it's like the the loot train. So in terms of spectacle, <laughs> it's, it's two it's two different shows, but also yeah, you've lost yeah. a bit of the maybe uh, the depth to it. But I wonder That's if there is. A, I wonder that. if there's an element of them especially shortening the series is now just certain shortening the seasons just thinking you know what we just want to get it we want to get we want to do a good make it really great spectacle but we just in terms of plot we just want to get it done because we've been doing this for 10 years now (laughs) Um, i mean and fair enough yeah like but but i feel like in doing that they've they sort of spunked it all off rather too quickly. You know what I mean? Like, mm. this is a series above almost all other series in fiction, including flipping Lord of the Rings, doesn't build its story with this sort of glacial pace. Mm. Like, they spent a long time building this world and saying, here's something that you're going to need to remember. You're going to care about it in eight years' time. Here's something that you need to care about in a long time from now. Here's something that's really going on that you're going to need to know about. And now in this series, of all times, they've just reached the top of the hill disengage the handbrake and they're just freewheeling and i'm like you can't do that this is the third act of a story that you've told over over seven years at this point Hmm. and and i think they've really let it go now i think your argument's really interesting and i think if they were if it would have been built more like the wire where each series is kind of discreet and contained and has a like demonstrable differences in tone and characters and setting and everything because you'll build that and that's the way you're building your image of this world in this setting that's brilliant like that would be great i'd love game of thrones done that way but they didn't do it that way they've done it as a 10 year long serial plot line with three acts that take place over 10 years Mm. and they've reached act three and run out of money it seems like to me or they've run out of whatever it is that kept them going and so it's now like yeah, I, I just I can't shake the feeling that the wheels have come off. However, as you rightly say, I have done this before. I am the boy who cried, jump the shark. And actually, they have done some great stuff since I thought they jumped the shark last time. So, uh, you know, I should be more humble about it, I suppose. But I definitely, I'm not happy with it at the moment. Mm. Like, um, um, I, I, I actually, whilst watching this episode, I uttered the phrase, if this is really what they're doing, I'm really angry about that, out loud, more than once. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're going to come to a decision to go on a big mission in a bit, and I get the feeling that you're not going to be overly enamoured with it. But we'll get to it. Um, so, so, so Bran um, inhabits a load of crows, and um, and shoots on over past Eastwatch, sees the army marching and the Night King, and says, "We need to get some ravens out and warn people again." Um, so they send these letters out. The Maesters get one down in Old Town, and. Um, <laughs> And, sats- and, and, and re- represent represent well privileged and powerful white men everywhere so very very well in this scene, <laughs> don't they? By just going, oh no, no, everything's fine. No, 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 no. yeah, might as well be in a flipping uh, flipping uh, Michael Bay film. Might as well be senior military top brass in a Michael Bay film for all the seriousness they bring <laughs> to the problem. Mister Scientist, um, yeah. So they're. Um- <laughs> So, so they 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 get this message. Yeah, most of them are, are very skeptical, to say the least. Sam speaks up in in support of of uh, of what what's being said, saying, "Yeah, this this stuff's real. You've got to send out a message backing it up, so people will believe it." And the, the problem is, if the Maces have this reputation for being, you know, um, very empirical and refusing to, you know, when they say something, it's it's the truth. 
then I can mm. understand from their point of view they've got to be absolutely sure that it's the truth or else they'll lose their reputation. So this guy, um, Maester, uh, Maester Broadbent, uh, I'm not because he's still not got a name. Um, he Maester says, Jim. Yeah, he says we'll, we'll write for more information. Um, I'd love it when um, I'd love to see the Maester's face up at Winterfell when he gets that reply, send more information. He's like, what else do you need? There's, there's the dead walking <laughs> on the wall. There's not really much else to say. But what clarification Hang on, do you let need? Me go, let me go and get one of their arms, <laughs> post it to you in a flipping jiffy bag. You'll see what I mean. Well, hold that thought. Yeah, quite. Um, so, oh, also, at the end of this, Sam like wanders off and we find out that the um, the Maesters haven't told Sam about his dad and his brother yet. Um, right. I quite like Flipping I quite it. like how the um, Maester Broadbent's quite um, is quite fond of Sam despite him constantly yeah. breaking yeah. the rules. Like it's a good lad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's a vuncular, isn't he? Yeah. Um, and I, I do like that they did that with it with a, a character, uh, an authority figure. And I, I like of all the people you want to get to play that role, Jim Broadbent is it, obviously. Mm. Um, but it still for me felt a little um, this scene. I was another example of the kind of broken timeline thing where it's like, right, so his parents have been dead for long enough that he should know about it, but he doesn't know about it. Which means when was the raven sent from the wall? How long does it take a raven to fly that far? Mm. And like, they're just, again, like, I feel like this, this wasn't just rush storytelling. This was broken timelines. Mm. Um, you know, news can spread throughout a kingdom quicker than a bird can fly from one end of it to the other. Um, I question that. Yeah, I think part of the problem as, as well is when you have a couple of massive, um, like, obvious things that are, are sort of playing with reality, like like at the very start where Jim, where Jim, where, Jim, where uh, Jamie Jim. and uh, Jamie and Brom pop up downriver. <laughs> Jamie, Jamie Lannister, Jim, Jim to his Jim mates. Lannister, yeah. when Jim, <laughs> Jim Lannister. When Jim, 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 Jim when Jim Lannister and Bronn pop up um, further down the river, that's an ob- such yeah. an obvious thing, isn't it? Um, yeah. That that's wrong. But I think once that snaps, once you um, see something like that and think, "Oh, that's bollocks," then suddenly things like this, which I think you could easily roll over if if the rest of it's right, suddenly every suddenly the sort of the seams start appearing in all of these bits, and you're like, "Oh, yeah. well, how's this working?" And then you you start watching it, asking those questions and, and things that maybe they would have got away with if they hadn't made these more obvious errors. Don't They don't get yeah. away with anymore. So, I don't know. Maybe yeah. that's part of the problem. We, we then go on to uh, Tyrion and Varys. Um, this this discussion about, you know, they're obviously both worried that Daenerys might be sort of flipping over towards the more mad side of the Targaryen family. And um, Varys is <laughs> always a gamble, though. You sort of know that you're rolling the dice, don't you? If you're going to get involved in propping up a Targaryen queen, yeah. And um, so Varys is saying to Tyrion, "Look, you've got to advise her." I think at least Varys has the self-awareness to to see that you know he isn't particularly his advice isn't particularly taken on board here. He's <laughs> you know he knows yeah. his place. He knows Tyrion's the one who's got her her ear. Um, yeah. But also, I like this bit towards the end where. Um, there's a sealed scroll for Jon Snow which has come in and uh, yeah. Tyrion's like have you read it he's like it's a sealed scroll and he's like there's a pause he says so what's it say he's like oh nothing good <laughs> <laughs> 
I love the guy who plays Varys for being able to sell that line so well. It's so good. He doesn't like. He doesn't cackle into it. He just kind of goes, "Oh, nothing good." Mm. <laughs> In that pleasingly kind of arch, defeated, cynical way. <laughs> Um, we then move on into the throne room. So, so John opens this scroll um, and read. Definitely is the first person to read it. Apparently, um, so he reads the scroll and hears that you know the Night King's marching on Eastwatch. So they've got to. Basically, he says, "Look, come help me up there, up at the wall to Daenerys." And she says, "No, I can't leave because if I leave, Cersei's going to attack with whatever she's got left and take all the Seven Kingdoms." So they want to arrange an armistice. To do this, they need to prove to Cersei that the army of the dead is real. To do that, they need to... Stay with me. To do that, they need to capture (laughs) one of these whites and bring it back to King's Landing. Um, Right. And I've just put... I can just see my notes here. I've just put, what is going on with this plan? (laughs) Where is it going from? No, honestly. And what is going on with the speed with which they brought together this plan as well? Like, in the previous series, (laughs) this would have been a three-episode arc where things happened to convince people that this was necessary. You know, you'd have a scene where somebody suggests and everybody says, he's out of his mind. Oh, nonsense. Rhubarb, 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 (laughs) right? And, and, And now they just have a scene where they all sit down and somebody goes, what about this? Somebody goes, oh, it's nonsense. And they go, ah, but have you considered the same thing put slightly differently and they go by George is right and and by the end of this 90 seconds on screen everybody's on board yeah with like so I'm I, just just let me just let me revisit the, the the fundamental logic of this plan the idea is to massively risk our lives in order to convince a woman who has established over Seven seasons, if she has established literally nothing else, that she is not rational, and that in the face of her enemies, she will do literally anything to keep herself and her loved ones alive. Literally anything. And your plan is to walk in there with something she can justifiably describe as a biological weapon, and use that as the reason to to keep her talking when she draws breath to yell the word guards. I know what you're thinking, but I'm here with a zombie, so probably better listen to us, eh? Mm. No. No, absolutely not. No, this is bollocks. This is bollocks with bollocks sauce on top, on top of a steaming massive pile of bollocks. No, this is rubbish. No. Holy crap. What is going on? Dave, Dan, Bubby, let's sit. Let's talk. This has gone wrong. (laughs) Fuck. Yeah, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> that little fuck at the end was probably the funniest thing you've ever done on this podcast. <laughs> fuck. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, what were your thoughts? I want to. I want to know what you think. Yeah, it's this is. I mean, it seems. It seems strange that Tyrion, as well as he knows Cersei, thinks that this would convince her. Um, yeah, and also He's very out of character, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I mean, in, in the in the first was it the first book or the second book? Um, Sir Alistair Thorne goes down to King's Landing with hand in a jar that's still alive to basically yeah. do the same thing, and yeah. he doesn't succeed. Um, partly because he's partly, because he's, partly because he's such a dick, he won't show it to anybody until he gets an audience with the king, and then by the time he does, <laughs> the thing's rotted away. But um, <laughs> but, but but also like. Then I thought maybe yeah, with that kind of king, with Robert, he would he may sort of 
look to that and think, yeah, there's something worth looking at. But that's when the realm's at peace as well. I yeah. think the thing is, we find out later on when there, um, when we have the I'm having a baby Jamie scene, um, yeah. Cersei basically says, I've come to the decision that it's within my interest to have an armistice anyway now. So yeah. they, they can do this with... You know, you'd imagine, and Tyrion should say this, that they can convince Cersei to for a ceasefire just based on what's happened in that last battle, because she's yeah. losing. As you said in the last last scene, we're losing, so we've, we we can't negotiate from a position of strength. Well, in that case, say yeah. Just if all they want is for her not to keep fighting, then I think they're pushing at an open door without this going catching a zombie. Yeah. So maybe yeah. May, maybe send out, maybe have that conversation with Jamie when you meet up with him. Um, I don't know, yeah. but yeah, it, it does feel it feels like a an absolute sort of hail mary pass, sort of um, last roll of the dice. When you still actually have enough players on the pitch to go for a regular play. Yeah, and also, right? and also, um, like you say, it's sort of it's the first thing they come out with. You know, this is the the biggest decision there are any of them are ever going to make, and it's like the first plan someone comes up with. They're like, ah, oh, it's a plan. Let's give it a go. Why not? <laughs> Why not? I, I would suggest yeah. I would suggest this plan would make more sense if kind of as what you just said, um, if they were to say, let's catch one and take it to Old Town so the Maesters send out letters to everybody saying this is legit and then we just bypass yeah. Cersei and all the lords come on board because they're being told by this, you know, seat of um reliable information that the real war's north. Yeah. Yeah, and and wow, I hadn't even thought of that, but that specifically that choosing not to do that and choosing to give Cersei power at a point to turn you away from her court, never mind getting in the room, which they all talk about being basically impossible, but nobody seems to have thought of a way of doing it. Don't worry about it, we'll busk it when we get there, seems to be the approach. Like, it's, why wouldn't you? You have access to the only information distribution network in the entire continent hmm. but instead let's go and deal with somebody who is manifestly unstable and irrational at best and hope that she makes it that, that she sees it's in her military it's to her military advantage to join forces like yeah I, why yeah yeah because because yeah you think when when Tyrion speaks to Maybe it's just a, maybe it's just the fact that people that, that people don't know what the others are thinking. So, but it just feels frustrating that the Lannisters are basically ready to sue for peace if they yeah. think they can get something out of it, some kind of deal. And, yeah. Uh, I mean, the other reason, as he says, they don't want to do it is because they don't believe they'll they can. There's any way out, but they've accepted they can't win, so they're almost yeah. there. Um, yeah. So this does seem like a yeah, this does seem and, like and a mental plan. <laughs> yeah, it is. And as tacticians, they would know that they're already there. In fact, that's the whole conversation. Yeah. So pretty much, we have to go for an armistice. I mean, we've already shown that we have a super weapon. Hmm. You know, this is like I mean, what's what's a? This is just unbelievable. It's like it's like in the Cold War, the U.S. discovering that Soviet Union doesn't have nukes, but then going, do you know what we need to do to win this? 
you know what we really need to do to win this is go to Mars. <laughs> that's that's what's going to make this possible because then we'll come back and they'll be so impressed that they'll just they'll just give up. <laughs> You're like, yeah, but you already have what you need in order to win yeah. the war. Why? <laughs> yeah, so, what, quite. I just want somebody in the room to go, this is mental. Yeah. This is mental. <laughs> I think, actually, Tormund does that later on for us up at East, up at East Watch. But, Tormund, um, he's yeah. a game day player, that boy. <laughs> he is a game day player. He's saying what we're all thinking. Sooner or later, he's going to turn up and he's going to be like, what? why, 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 you know, why, why? Um, but then got to Winterfell, the lords, these lords, I mean, they, uh, they, they're moaning already about John because he's not here. Bunch of wankers. Yeah, um, I, I'll give, I'll give, um, I'll give Bronze Yon the benefit of the doubt just because he wears his, bl- his uh, chest plate so well. But the other guy, um, <laughs> the Glover. Robert Glover. Yeah, what, a, what an arsehole. Yeah. Um, San- Where is the glove, man? Where is the glove? <laughs> yeah, 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 he's all out of glove. And um, <laughs> Sansa's Sansa, quite diplomatic. She's like, "Look, John's doing what he thinks is right. Um, we, we, I'm not going to. I'm not going to supplant him. So forget about it." Um, Arya comes over to have a chat with her. She doesn't think she's. Bit, she thinks Sansa should start chopping off heads left, right, and centre, which, which just seems ridiculous. But. Um, you know, anyway, I can, I can understand from one point of view, Sansa does give the impression like you could see a little thing that she's almost little fingerish here, like going, oh, no, it couldn't possibly be me. But giving them enough rope to continue to to sort of complain yeah. about John, she doesn't shut it down as hard as maybe she could. But yeah. I think she's got a good point to say, look, I've got to listen to these guys. It, my decision is still final yeah. and, and, and we're waiting for John. But if I start executing laws, that's the quickest way to lose the rest of the army. Yeah. I mean, yeah, to, and to be honest, right. and that's exactly what happened with Rob. He lopped yeah. the head off Karstark and lost a, lost a massive chunk of his army. Yeah. And, you know, and ended up being killed for it. Yeah. Like, directly because of that. Yeah. You know, it's the di- it's one of the, you know one of the dilemmas of being a leader and so on in Westeros. Mm. You know, be a bastard or be dead, I suppose. But yeah, you know, it's hard to argue with what Sansa should be saying here. You know, yeah, I think it's this this relationship of Sansa and I—they were never close, never really liked each other as sisters. And I think that is quite interesting that it hasn't taken long for those old sort of differences and distrusts yeah. to, to reappear. I think you saw it on Sansa's face. Was it last week when she was watching Arya fight in the courtyard and yeah. didn't look very comfortable? And Arya yeah. isn't comfortable with Sansa in her dad, mum and dad's room now taking over. And there's a lot of, yeah, everything's not yeah. rosy with those two. I have to say... I struggle to find this engaging because I find the idea of poisonous teenage enmity as a plot device really frustrating. Mm. But that is because I have never been a little sister or an older sister. Mm. So so it could be that I'm I'm really missing something here and that this is really resonating as part of experience. But but for me, like I was just like really You've been married twice. You've been a queen. You've been 
almost a pauper. You've been horrendously treated. You've come through it all. You've negotiated, you know, alliances. You've, you, you know, you're effectively queen in the north, right? And you're going to default back to, you know, how dare you? You know, you're, you're my little sister. Show me some respect. And Arya has essentially become a completely different person. And she <laughs> still manages to give it... The same as she did when she was, by the way, watch some episode one, some series one episodes. You know, just the, the, the amount that these characters, these actors have aged during this time is not surprising, but it really is sobering. And it really does throw this into relief where it's like, how can you, a character who is now clearly in her 20s, how can you possibly, possibly still be acting like the 10-year-old you were when we started out? Hmm. Yeah. Well, we shall see where that goes. Yeah. Um, we, we, we then fly over to King's Landing. Uh, Davos is smuggling Tyrion in. Um, they leave the boat on the beach, and because uh, <laughs> Davos has got to go to the to Flea Bottom for some business of his for, own, which we'll find out about yeah. in a minute, and, for reasons that are unclear. Yeah, and then uh, and Tyrion's like, "You're leaving the boat. What happens if someone takes the boat?" And I just love Davos. He's just throw away. Well, then we're fucked. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's really cheerily delivered. <laughs> I, I, I love how good he is at doing that as well. Like that's his strength. He keeps saying, you know, oh, you know, I, I'm not a good fighter. You know, I'm not a, and he's not. But he is really good mm. at being incredibly matter of fact and surviving. Mm. And and there's no, you know, it reminded me of that fantastic line from um, uh, Bridge of Spies. Mm. You know, where you've got this, you've got the guy played by um, by uh, Mark Rylance. Hmm. Um, who is, you know, he's in this horrible position and somebody says to him, you know, you don't seem worried. And he just says, would it help? <laughs> and there really is some of that, would it help in, uh, in yeah, Davos? Yeah, yeah definitely. Um, yeah. And I love that, really love that as a character. Yeah. Um, so this leads to uh, Bronn brings Jamie down into the sort of, um, the wherever it is, is it the cellar or something? I don't know. And uh, he meets he meets Jamie, uh, Jamie and Tyrion meets this is a really great scene and that, like, this uh, is one of those ones yeah. where I thought it could have stood to be longer I'd like to have seen a bit more between these two um, yeah ja- the um, actor playing Jamie does a really great job with very little um, actual dialogue and um, yeah. some of Tyrion's delivery is brilliant as well like um, the way he says yeah. the way he tries to build bridges at the start like by trying to compliment him saying oh um, dad would have been proud the way that you outfoxed me over at Castle Rock and then yeah. when he he goes on to say you know do you think I wanted to be born like this um, yeah. I thought I just thought it was really good this between those two and that is I'm gutted as a fan that I didn't get more of that because Peter Dinklage is a hell of an actor hmm. and and you know you, you, it's so clear that this is something that he as a character has wanted to say his entire life and and he and he nails it but he gets halfway through one sentence and then we have to move on. And I, I want to be angry with the scriptwriters for doing that, but actually I think that's realistic. That's one of the heartbreaking things about getting older in a family is that, you know, there should be the people that you can talk to about anything, but actually there are some things that you just end up not saying. Hmm. And, and, and this is, you know, because the moment doesn't come around and your, you know, your usual role doesn't permit you to kind of speak that way. And that's totally Tyrion's position here. Hmm. So, I thought it was true to the environment and to the character, even though I would have loved to have had a proper soliloquy on that, hmm. um, just to climb inside Tyrion's head a little bit more on that, because you know that Dinklage would have nailed it. Yeah. But, you know, but it wasn't to be. Never mind. So this uh, offer of an armistice is made. Um, then we go over to Flea Bottom. <laughs> Holy shit, it was Gendry. 
right, all right, gather them up, lads. Gather them up. Who had Gendry returns in season seven? Because if, if somebody put a bet on that, they would have cleaned up. Yeah. Just, yeah. I really oh, like it. I really like this because um, I, I like the little joke that Davos says, the little nod to the oh, people yeah, who watch it. Fan service. I thought you were still Absolutely. rowing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I like Gendry's, Gendry's character, how he's he's so sort of impulsive and, um, you know, he's he's ready to go straight away. He's got this war hammer like his dad. Um, and his character, I think it is, um, I quite like how they've moulded him as the sort of younger version of Robert, like that we've heard so much about. His character seems to be basically that. It's basically Robert yeah. as a 20 year old. Um, or yeah. whatever, however he's supposed to be. Yeah. He looks a little older than that now, doesn't he? Because he's got it, a short he hair and the he weathered does, features. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, he's good. Felt a little bit rushed. Felt a little bit like it was, it's definitely, this is a Hail Mary play in mm. terms of scripting bringing Gendry back like and the, what they do with him in the rest of the episode to basically basically accelerate doing four scenes what would have happened otherwise over the course of you know years mm. of keeping this character alive by the way if you can do this with Gendry I do not see why you can't do it with Arya Arya goes through all of these you know microscopically character forming moments and I, I've been uh, vocal on my frustration with that but you, why not with Gendry why why not seeing what happens to this this guy and 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 seeing his experience and his formative stuff because the alternative to that is what we get which is we turn up and Davos starts his pitch and Gendry goes yep yeah, no I'm coming yeah but but it, and it's by comparison to how long we've had to wait for other characters to make decisions like that that's breathtakingly quick but isn't isn't he just basically the same character that we saw like four seasons ago though there's not really much development to show he's just how he was well I, well, I, I mean, I don't know, and that's part of the problem is that I can't see that from the, the amount of screen time they're giving him. They're asking me to care about him again, and really, all his role is is to be like, yeah, cool, cool, fighting, yeah, yeah, Ooh, yeah. I just, I'm the I just looking one from I several seasons back. I just don't know what it would have added through the last few seasons just to have a, a scene every so often with him in the armory. I, no, I'm not really advocating for that. I'm saying, why did we have to put up with the whole Arya storyline? I suppose is my yeah, question. Yeah, yeah, that, that that's probably yeah, probably a better. I suppose yeah. what, what would this uh, probably because she's she's she has changed from as you said from the girl that we saw at the start to to now this whole I I, I wonder if even with all that development for Arya if we still buy that she's so like odd but uh, yeah. the, the, the way she's acting now but I, I don't know that's probably one to talk about a bit later on um, yeah I think uh, that would be very wise I definitely think we're going to come to that. Hmm. Uh, so they, yeah, Gendry's like, hell yeah, let's go, grabs his warhammer. They're, they're about to leave King's Landing. These gold cloaks show up. Davos does a great, a great salesman job of basically at first bribing them, then giving them some fermented crab, which is what he's, you know, his cover for what he's smuggling in. Uh, it looks like it's going to all go okay. And then um, they catch sight of Tyrion. Ty- Tyrion, yeah. who's some t- one of the most famous looking characters in the Seven Kingdoms, is from what I can tell the sum total of his, his disguise going into the capital is removing the hand of the hand of the queen pin <laughs> that's it <laughs> he's just looking at it going no the finery's too much I'll pass I'll pass <laughs> it just seems such a lazy um, 
disguise right i'll just get take yeah, that pin off no and now i'm a normal yeah. man <laughs> yeah but i mean what's he gonna do otherwise go in on stilts like you yeah. know what i mean like he's, he's sort of he is sort of screwed but then you would have hoped they would have put more thought into it and this was my thought when davos disappeared and to be honest with you this is slightly this is my frustration with gendry's reintroduction of character i quite like gendry as a character mm. but in order to reintroduce him they've had davos know where this kid is go and find him, hmm. right? Um, and leave Tyrion by himself to get into <laughs> and out of King's Landing without getting caught. Yeah. And then make a plot point out of the fact that that was a stupid fucking idea. <laughs> so, like, so why? Like, and Davos, who's supposed to be this master smuggler, would have, of all people, would have known that he needs to be the guy getting Tyrion in and out. I don't know, in a box, whatever. Hmm. All the other ways we've seen. Tyrion smuggled in and out of places he wasn't supposed to be. Hmm. And at this most critical of moments, Davos's approach is to go, all right, I'll see you later. I've got to go and set up the plot for the next one, <laughs> basically. And there's no, there's no good reason for it, as far as I can see. <laughs> uh, the next scene, Cersei, Cersei's pregnant. Uh, we, we, this scene begins with, with Kyburn saying, do you want to have something? I think he's basically offering her moon tea, which would end the pregnancy. Yeah. And she's like, yeah. no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Um, she's gonna have the baby and say that it's um, that it's Jamie's. Might might cause one or two problems for you on that. What do you reckon? Um, her, her <laughs> husband to be. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's clear that she takes that commitment about as seriously as she will have taken a piece of used toilet paper. And in Euron's case, fair enough. I don't like Cersei. I like Euron even less, which is quite an achievement. Um, so yeah, and but I mean, you could have a fascinating conversation, aren't you? If she ends up having to marry Euron and then she gives birth to an extremely blonde child <laughs> again, <laughs> <laughs> given that they were willing to start a war to keep this secret before, by the way, I find it a little bit questionable that she's now gung ho for everybody to know about it, and she and never once does she reflect. Shit, yeah, a lot of people died because of that that decision, including my children. Yeah, but but worth it, worth it, worth it, definitely worth it. Now, now, no shame, no shame. Well, I think no. Like we said last week, she's just she's like, well, there's no one in King's Landing who could say any different. No, all anyone who's anyone who could have stood against me is gone. So why not? Yeah. You know, it's. I think it's quite. I think it's quite interesting that that shows just how how in control of King's Landing Cersei is, or certainly how in control she thinks she is, how confident yeah, she is. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, yeah. As we said, she's ready to accept this armistice, regardless of the proof. It seems. Um, so it seems like there's going to be a really big mission up there for for a little point, um, and she yeah she warns Jamie never to betray her again. She sees the fact that he sort of I assume sees the fact that once this meeting began he didn't kill Tyrion outright. Is um, I don't know what I, actually I struggled to work out what this what she thought was the betrayal here because Jamie obviously didn't know that this was a meeting until he was in it. And then he didn't yeah. kill Tyrion, which is what she would have wanted him to do. As in, she wouldn't have yeah. wanted him to kill Tyrion because she wants to have an armistice. So I'm not yeah. really sure where the don't betray me thing came from. But yeah, yeah. Because she's drama, she's something, something. Because she's mental, exactly. Which once <laughs> serves to yet further undermine this whole insane capture a zombie plan. <laughs> yeah. Um, then we go to Dragonstone. Uh, Gendry meets John. Davos has got this cover story. Um, he's going to call him Clotus, um, just some like some guy. Clotus, the slack-jawed yokel. Yeah, and <laughs> and then immediately Gendry says, 
hi, I'm Gendry, Robert's son. And I, I just almost wanted Davos just to go, what are you talking about, Clotus? <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. You're Clotus, the otherwise undistinguishable, but somehow very hench, man. Yeah, so uh, me. so Gendry um, is obviously is is a little is a little forthright, um, a little sort of um, I don't know, uh, a little over familiar with John. Uh, John kind of still yeah. likes him though, gets him on board, um, and and they sort of they, they, they go on. I find Gendry's almost sort of a fanatic in his uh, enthusiasm for for uh, for sort of this cause, isn't it? It feels like he's been waiting. It feels like the kind of person yeah. who could be sort of recruited as as a fanatic to some kind of cult. He's, he's very sort of once he sees something, it that's that's all he wants to do. Yeah, and 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 yeah, well, quite. I mean, and I think that's actually in keeping with his character, and that helps me because um, because otherwise it would be very like I've been struggling with this this fact that Genry turns up and is just like, yep, no, and everybody keeps trying to do the exposition on him. And he just goes, no, no, it's fine, don't care, don't, whatever, <laughs> don't mind, whatever, couldn't care less, let's go, let's go. And and that's it just feels a bit peremptory, but maybe that's what his character's like. You know, he's Robert's mm. son, he's impulsive, he's charismatic, he's hard as nails, and he doesn't think through his decisions terribly well. <laughs> maybe that's the thing, like, fair yeah. enough. Yeah. Uh, we then go to the scene where they're they're leaving. Um, there's this nice little bit between Tyrion and Jorah, where Tyrion says, "Yeah, I'm going to miss you, uh, Jorah. Nobody glowers quite like you," which is true. <laughs> <laughs> that, and um, that is definitely true. Yeah, he gives Jorah the coin that the slaver gave Tyrion back in uh, oh, a couple of seasons ago when they got captured. He just sort of yeah. reminded him, "Do you remember when you treated me like an absolute git? But I still like you. Yeah, hope, <laughs> hope you come back." <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, totally true. And then Jorah speaks to Daenerys, and he comes so close to saying, "Khaleesi," <laughs> but he doesn't, Matt. He doesn't. But then John interrupts the the bastard, the literal bastard. Oh, he's not actually a bastard. <laughs> Is he a bastard still? I don't, we don't know for sure, do we? Oh, uh, we don't. Well, I mean, there, there was there a scene did, earlier on this time. Did ba- with uh, the ba- bagel gone um, le- left? His wife and started another marriage. We, we think possibly. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Bagel gone. Um, Genius. Now, so so John's heading off, um, leading this sort of this group beyond the wall, and the last thing he says to Daenerys is, "I wish you good fortune in the wars to come." Um, now this is interesting because two other characters have said this um, in the series. Uh, one of them was Mance Raider. Immediately before he he was burned alive and died and killed, and the other was Sir Arthur Dane. Um, immediately before yeah. the battle where Ned killed him. Yeah. So as soon as I heard him say this, I was like, oh. Yeah. Especially when I when sort of I found out that these are the other two characters who said it, and when they said it, I'm just yeah. wondering if yeah. this is a bit of foreshadowing about. It'd be a massive shock if John yeah. was to die again for good. Yeah. 
But yeah. I don't know. It just I thought it was I mean, interesting. It could, happen. it could happen, but do you get the sense that, that Game of Thrones doesn't have its fangs in anymore? That they've set up these characters and they set up a lot of characters and killed a lot of them so that you understood how brutal was the world that your actual protagonists were operating in. Hmm. But I, I, I begin to feel like Jon and Daenerys are pretty much bulletproof at this point hmm. because, because we've been asked to invest so much in them and they've literally only just met. Hmm. Like even for this TV series, it would be pretty bad for them to get killed now. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll see. Imagine the reaction if they do. Um, we move on to Sam and Sam and Gilly. Oh, this is the whole thing we just talked about. So um, Sam and Gilly are, are going through these papers, and um, Gilly's saying, um, "Oh, look at this! All these records that this maester kept. Uh, one of them is about this prince called. She almost says Rhaegar. I think she says Raga." Um, that he, he had the annulments. <laughs> Ragga the Prince. Love that. Prin- Sorry. Prince Prince Bagel gone. He um yeah, <laughs> he got he got remarried and Sam completely misses so this is basically the um the confirmation that Rhaegar set aside his wife and then married Lyanna Stark before they had John. Yeah. So John yeah. isn't a bastard yeah. actually. Um but yeah. Sam misses it because he's like he's busy he's, he's so about frustrated yeah and he just goes, Sam basically at the end of this scene goes fuck this we're off and they get in a car <laughs> he nicks a load of scrolls drink get, up drink up we're leaving we're leaving <laughs> yeah. he, he grabs a load of scrolls from the library jumps in a cart and they leave where are they going I've no idea. And I've no idea how he walks out with a bunch of scrolls as well. Was it like he walks out? Look, because they are chained down and they spent a long time establishing that this is a very well-guarded repository of knowledge for good reason because book cost a piss of a lot to make. Hmm. And so what's he doing walking out with them past the guard and the guard's just going, ah, oh, taking the books for a walk, I see. Good, good, carry on. <laughs> no, he'd get killed. That's yeah. the whole point of having a chained library. Yeah, Ugh, I wonder if me. no. I don't know where he's going though. Where is he going? What do you think? No idea. Honestly, no idea. I mean, if I was to guess, he might turn up. The thing is, again, because we've got these like distance doesn't really seem to mean anything anymore. Now he could turn up at Dragonstone. Mm. He could turn up at his dad's old seat at Hornhill. He could turn yeah. up at the Wall. I don't Winterfell. Anywhere he could. Anywhere, yeah. and he'll have in thirty seconds flat as well. Yeah, so I don't know, and I don't know where he would want to go. That's better than where he is now, because his job is to find out how to kill the White Walkers. I don't know if he's mm. suddenly decided that he wants a change of career and now wants to do some killing himself. But it doesn't seem like that's going to be particularly helpful. They've got plenty of people who can swing a sword. They need a guy yeah. with a bit of brains who can find some stuff out. So where, yeah. why is he leaving? That's ridiculous. But anyway. yeah, it poorly thought through and poorly justified in his frustration. I think mm. like they uh, they put time into setting up his frustration, but I still think it's a stupid decision mm. um, of well, the sort which I thought Sam was kind of above. Well, also, having put he put up with Sir Alice Thorne for such a fucking long time, and then a, a, an avuncular, mm. you know, Archmaester Jim being like, "Oh, well, I don't think I'll listen to you quite as quickly as you might otherwise have liked." He goes yeah. right. Fuck it, I'm going. Yeah, and also because, okay, he's going to do the chamber pot routine and all this jazz, but he's breaking rules and getting away with it all the time. You know, he's been in this forbidden yeah. section as much as he wants. He's still got open access to it, obviously, because he's just nicked all these scrolls. Um, he's been given a lot of old mm. stuff to read through, which is almost like the maester saying, look, I'm going to help you actually do what you're asking me to do. He's basically, this maester mm. guy, he's actually helping Sam do his job. He's gone, right, sit, yeah. go through all these old scrolls, 
and you know copy them out but you know reading between the lines it's not exactly particularly um uh, you know, it's, it's quite lenient this place, isn't it? It's not very strict. He's not being done for it's any of the stuff he's doing wrong. The Night's Watch. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so yeah. Why yeah. doesn't he just sort of kind of pay lip service a bit, copy the odd bit of scroll eh, but just pile through them all and try and find something interesting, and then move yeah. on to the next lot in the library rather than just pick it, uh, picking up a few scrolls and fucking off to God knows where. I just don't understand it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, quite. Um, anyway, um, the next scene, uh, Baelish plants this scroll. He gets this scroll, which is basically, um, I think if you if you can if you if you see some of the text, it's one of the I think it's a letter that Sansa wrote saying, you know, Dad's betrayed, Dad, Dad betrayed the king. You got to come down and pl- pay fealty to Joffrey. The, the letter she wrote to, yeah. to Rob in season one, and yeah. um, he basically gets that. Hides it in not in a fairly obvious place uh, under the mattress, classic, and um, and then <laughs> what, <laughs> and then watches as Aya um, sneaks into his room, finds the scroll, and leaves. He's uh, he's putting the cat among the pigeons, Dave. Bailey yeah, he might as well yet. as he watches it as he watches her leave. He might as well be doing the Mr. Burns excellent, <laughs> you know, drumming his fingers together and cackling evilly. Is it's just it's so Littlefinger, isn't it? And it's so interesting that Arya has become such a badass at killing people, but is really bad at politics still. Mm. Like really bad at politics because she hasn't had to learn it. There's no politics in the becoming a faceless man, is there? Yeah. There's just being knocked down for episode upon episode by a slightly older teenager and like she's so bad at it hmm. yeah i like i like that um i had a, a couple of people i've heard say about this saying oh it'd be really bad if i gets played here because she should be too smart for that but i think you're right the the things she's learned the training she's been given isn't anything to do with this so it is entirely believable that she could get sort of manipulated by someone who like Baelish because she yeah. just doesn't have that skill set, does she? She doesn't have the politics skills, if you like. No. And it's it's definitely gonna bite her in the ass. So then we head up to Eastwatch and um Tormund is welcoming John and his motley crew up to the castle. Um and he says what many of us I think are thinking this is a stupid fucking idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I like. I, I. mean, I like that they have a character who actually commits to saying that because this is an extremely, as we've said, you know, a very brought together idea, which is a bit. <laughs> hmm, hmm, all yeah. right, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I've got two problems with this idea. One is the sort of broader strategic point, which we've talked about, but the other. Um, is sort of the tactical, just how they're trying to go about it, which maybe we can talk about in a minute. Um, But I think Tormund's quite useful here in sort of um, actually saying some of the things that maybe some people in the audience are thinking, so A, yeah, this is a stupid (laughs) idea. Um, And B, like, it's sort of, you've got to convince the queen. Yeah. How many queens are there now? Two. And you need to convince the one with the dragons or the one who fucks her brother. <laughs> it's just, it's just entirely like, oh, what are you, what are you up to, John? What is going on here? <laughs> and that's why you have a wildling, like captain as a character because he just that line as delivered in a in a kind of 
ironic Norwegian accent with the most flyaway ginger beard you ever saw in your life is glorious. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> glorious. Yeah. Um, the other thing I like about Tormund here is uh, he asks how many men they've brought, and they're like, oh, not, not many. And then he just goes, the big woman? And John's like, I'm afraid not. <laughs> and again, you've got to love Tormund for being the guy who is literally at the end of the world in both possible senses. He's in this like isolated stone kind of shack waiting for, you know, the forces of hell to descend on him. And he's still sitting there just kind of going, Yes, I like the big woman. The big woman was very much. Yes. <laughs> Podrick was a lucky boy. You know, like, I just, he's brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Davos, once again, says, I'm no good at fighting, just to remind you all again, um, so leave <laughs> oh, me behind. Yeah. Oh, my word. <laughs> Davos. I, lo- yeah. I, I do love that he's that good at being it, that he's like a lord and a sort of, you know, essentially hand of the king of the north, yeah. uh, the king in the north. Um, but that he's like, now let's be clear, I am rubbish at certain things. And surprisingly, for a man in my position, one of those things is fighting. All right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I like it. I like who he's honest about it. And also, he's probably right. You need people who know what, who sort of can handle themselves out here um, beyond the wall. Um, <laughs> yeah. And speaking of people who can handle themselves, there are three other um, guys who've recently turned up here. They've been captured, which... Um, must have, I'd like to have seen the size of the wildling scouting party that managed to capture these three, um, one of them being yeah. the Hound. Um, yeah, well, flipping quite. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the Hound, Beric and Thoros are just in the... That, I assume that, that's all that's left of the, uh, of the Brotherhood now. Because weren't, weren't there yeah. a few, few others like knocking about when we last saw the Hound? Um, were, yeah, I, in, I definitely got the no, feeling not he was when they were, group. No, not when they did the thing at the shack with the people that the Hound indirectly killed and then redeemed himself by mourning for, I suppose. Oh. Um, no, no, it was just the three just of them. The three I of think. them. Oh, okay, so that's yeah, all that's but, left. But, so, but, but you're right that they have, as a, not for the first time in this particular season of Game of Thrones, skipped some stuff that they would would otherwise in other series have taken two episodes over about, yeah. you know, the whittling down of the of the crew and, you know, the death of XYZ and the rest of it. Yeah. Um, you know, now it's just like sort of, right, who do we absolutely not need? Everybody, apart from the guy with the top knot, the guy with the burned face, and the guy with the eye patch. Everybody else goes, all right? <laughs> yeah, without so much as a death scene. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. With that, I mean, we've gone from skipping battles to skipping even individual death scenes. And it used to be, back in the halcyon innocent days of the early days of this series, that they loved a death scene. They'd spend ages over it just to kill someone, just, just, just for the sheer joy of it, you know. Yeah. And, and now, now, no. They, these boys obviously want to go beyond the wall because they want to fight whatever's coming, and um, and that you <laughs> lacking know. a certain strategic sense there, I would suggest. Yeah, like. yeah, using your big defensive structure. Um, yeah, yeah. So. <laughs> I mean, for the sheer, I mean, it's really interesting religious zealotry. This isn't it that, that, that communicates itself in the format of, sure, we could you know fight from a position of strength and beat these bastards, but. God, you know what? I just really fancy going out there and throwing the punch for myself, you know? You know, for God, for God, but for myself, you know, just just so I could, you know. Yeah. So it's so they're mo- going to get eaten alive, Matt. They're going to get eaten alive. <laughs> so we have a motley crew of guys here, all with the same vague goal of going beyond the wall. 
and a lot of them don't trust each other. So Gendry immediately says, look, don't trust these three. They sold me to this red woman. Um, so <laughs> I don't like him. <laughs> what, I mean, Gendry keeps up his 100% hit rate of being the guy in the room who cuts past everything that you're tired of other Game of Thrones characters saying. <laughs> and he's absolutely an audience, audience surrogate in this moment. Where he, like, Because we've been thinking throughout this episode, really? Is it really? <laughs> this feels a bit contrived, really? And Gendry is the guy who goes... No, this is nonsense. This is bollocks. I'm not going to trust them. They've already tried to sacrifice me once. Like, yeah. and fair enough. Whereas yeah. everybody else seems to be. But Gendry apparently has not, while he's been lost on a boat, um, has not got the has not got the the memo about how everybody needs to set aside their personal differences or indeed their previous roles in the plot in order yeah. to get us to the point where we have a big fuck off fight between a load of Cookie Monster zombies and dudes in fur. Yeah. Um, and I kind of love him for that. I'm on board with him at that point. You know, I, I, this is a silly plan. Yeah, and um, and T- Tormund in the same uh, breath, he's like, as they're all talk, like introducing each other to themselves or to each other. Um, yeah. Obviously, it becomes clear that Jorah is, is a Mormont, and Tom is like, you're a fucking Mormont? It's like, because they've, <laughs> they've got history with the old Lord Commander yeah. of the Night's Watch. Um, yeah. But obviously... Yeah, it's been, it went both I, ways that they killed a lot of killing on both sides. Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, exactly. But I also quite love the way that Mormont has yet to do the thing where he, like, he he is yet to act like a sulky teenager and be like, "Shut up, all right? I'm not my dad. I'm not my dad. Stop doing things because I'm my dad." Because <laughs> he's had Sam save his life, so he's on a balance here. He's had Sam save his life because of Geor Mormont, and uh, and and he's had Tormund go, "You fucking what?" In, because he's a Mormon, so you know, like either way, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, so yeah, Beric starts into this big sort of speech about how you know we all serve the God of the Light, regardless. And the Hound just sort of cuts him off. And is like, come on, are we going or what? <laughs> you, know, you get the feeling that the Hound's been sitting listening to this shit for however long they've been sitting in the cell, and he's just <laughs> had completely had enough of it now. Well, that's that's another thing, isn't it? The the the, the timelines uh, are not only in this scene. Obviously, uh, they're 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 out of hand. Like, there's now like how long have they been in this cell? Because last week they were here, and then this week the last week they were back over there, and this week they're here, and they've yeah. seen other things, or maybe they haven't seen things. And I I don't know about you, but not only in this scene, but I really am starting to lose my grip on what the timeline is of this TV series. Yeah. And, yeah. and how they all interact. Um, yeah. Which is, I suppose, is a bit of a lesson for me, really, because I spent that entire the entire time we were going through A Feast for Crows bitching about how much work George Martin had done trying to be faithful to a certain timeline. And in fairness, he fucked that timeline, good and proper. <laughs> but at least it existed. I really feel like since, like since since season seven started that they've just kind of got into this... Uh, they, they is far more like oh yeah years passed and then Sam turned up years passed and then Tormund was there you know and it's just all a little bit less concrete and well thought through to me yeah as Davos says nothing fucks you harder than time and this, <laughs> this series is a good example of that yeah, no kidding also outstanding Davos impression there Sunderland's own smuggling onion night glorious <laughs> Um, so in the end, John says, "Look, we're all on the same side because we're still alive. So let's all get together and do what needs to be done. What needs to be done, as we've discussed, is go and go and steal a white. Um, and then the, so, so the, the final, yeah, 
It's all white on the night. So there's a... <laughs> <laughs> Zing! <laughs> so the, 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 the final scene is um, these seven striding out through the Eastwatch gate into the snow um, with, with a collection of sort of, of guys behind them with, who are pulling something. I assume it's like a, a sledge. And you just immediately think, well, they're toast, whoever they are. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They might as well have red T-shirts on, mightn't they, really? <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I just thought, before we finish today, um, we should go through... Obviously, these guys are heading out now on an extremely dangerous mission. Um, I mean, there's been comparisons drawn with, like, you know, Suicide Squad and stuff like that. No, no, um, no, 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 Matt. It's not, it's not Suicide Squad. You know what it is? It's flipping Day of the Dead, Land of the Dead. <laughs> Is what it is. Yeah, is it the, the go out and like get that. one. They can understand us. Go and capture a zombie. <laughs> Spoilers, Matt. It doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. So um, this uh, this this general sort of. I don't know what the. Well, I assume we get the detail of exactly how they're going to try and do it um, next week. But it seems they're just sort of going to walk out there. Well, hopefully catch one that's just wandered off to. Than I'll take a shit or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are getting into new areas of the domestic realities of being a zombie, you know, yeah. animated by the sheer force of blue eyed evil from the eldritch beyond. Do you need to go and take a shit? <laughs> Is he going to catch him when he's, you know, do, do you still have an addiction to nicotine? Is he going out for a crafty cigarette? Like, yeah, what's the, what's the score? Yeah. Um, so I think, what, maybe like just chuck a big net over him or something and then drag him off. I don't know. <laughs> They really need Mira and Annette, um, which they do have in the series. I think it's just the book, but um, but yeah. So, so these seven. Also, I'd have thought if you're gonna like get in, get out quick, and and capture someone or take someone hostage, you want to be as fast as possible. So I don't understand why no one's on horses here. You think that? Yeah. Surely, I know that maybe they're struggling for horses, but surely they've got seven somewhere along yeah. the sort of seven kingdoms that they could take. I mean, for, yeah. for goodness sake, Daenerys has got, like, a horde of Dothraki. Yeah. They've not got any spare yeah. horses knocking about. I mean, well, exactly. Like, I mean, it, so it leads up to a very, very kind of appropriately chilling final image of these these dudes just walking out into the wilderness and that. Mm. But, yeah, it's not even like they can say, oh, we're stranded here in the north and all the resources are further south. Yeah. No. Like, you've literally just come from the woman with the biggest army in the country, and what she's done is basically said, good good for you, carry good on, luck. jog on, <laughs> well done, yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't want me to help you, would you? That would demean your, your authority as the king in the north. Yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. yeah. <sighs> okay, cool. All that said, the sight of these seven striding out into the wilderness is quite exciting, and it's quite badass. Um, <laughs> sh- sh- shall we go through what we think is going to happen to these because obviously let's let's be honest all, all seven of these aren't coming back uh, <laughs> uh, yeah yeah well and I, I can't believe yes we absolutely should do that but I can't believe that we've already reached the point in this series where it's time for the before the second to last episode roundup on who's definitely gonna die next time because mm. we did this for the Battle of the Bastards last time and it was like it was a marathon getting to that point whereas here I feel like we've barely started the series yeah yeah well let, let's go through there was a good um well, I'll come to it. Actually, there's a good little post I saw about this, but we'll go through them. So, um, of these seven, I mean, the first one, John. I mean, he's coming back, isn't he? 
Yeah, he's kind of, they've done too much story set up that they have yet to tell anybody. Yeah. Uh, for him, for him to die, I would yeah. say. Also, they've already killed him once. Yeah. Regardless- so I mean, so actually, if he does die again, he will come back. Yeah. Like that's I'll make a subsidiary prediction there. Yeah. Regardless of whatever sort of foreshadowing, as we've discussed, um, that is that is before in this episode. Yeah, John. I I'd say John Shirley nailed on to return. Beyond yeah. that, I think this is because we're so late in the series now, and we've got still yeah. a lot of characters. I think anyone sort of anyone's goable. Um, you, you, for, think that, you think they're going to use this as an opportunity to thin out the old uh, the old uh, cast list? I think I think the, that may, the, may the well happen. Sheet. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. um, so so for a start, Thoros. What do you think about Thoros? <sighs> yeah, Thoros goes. Thoros mm. goes trying to revive uh, uh, Beric. That's what I'm going to say. Yeah, I think I think Thoros. Yeah, I think Thoros is done. I, and I think he, yeah, he'll try and revive Beric. He might even try and revive sort of someone else. He might try and revive John or, yeah, know, maybe even the Hound. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think he'll he'll do something kind of healy, but I don't think he will make it back. Yeah. Um. So we'll both go for 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 dead for that one then. Beric. Yeah, absolutely. Toast. I mean toast. Absolutely toast. Why have I been kept alive by my God? I just don't know. I wonder if at some point in the immediate future there will be some opportunity for me to be self-sacrificing in in service (laughs) of the greater story. I wonder if that will happen soon. What's that you say? Go through the wall on a hopeless suicide mission? I'm on. Like, so he's he's done. He might as well just lie down now and might as well put on a red t-shirt and step out of the the spaceship ahead of Captain Kirk. That's that's how done for he is. I I definitely think he's going to die. But the, the question is whether he'll be brought back again but yeah i think i think judging by what we know from the book where he his his end in the book is that he isn't brought back because somebody else is brought back in his place and i wonder whether that's going to happen either to bring back john or maybe even the hound i've just got Uh, got that would be interesting yeah because he's sort of He's sort of brotherhoody. No, he's the other sort of one who's part of this group. Yeah. There's just something about that that makes me think he's... Yeah, anyway, so I would say Beric, yeah. Beric Toast as well. So we've gone... John survived. We've both gone the same at the moment. John survived. Thoros gone. Beric gone. They're, they're the easy right, yeah. ones, I think. Yeah, no, um, absolutely. Uh, Gendry. What do you think? Well... Well, they've put a lot of effort into bringing him back. If they literally, the only reason they brought him back was so that they could tie up the most embarrassing plot strand left dangling <laughs> for five series, um, and if that and the fact that they did it with that joke was like, if they've only done it in order to tie up those loose ends, that is pathetic storytelling. <laughs> that is rubbish. That is crap. So I have to believe that he stays alive. Possibly it's him who gets killed, and then. Uh, and and revived rather than Dendarian. Um yeah. But I, I mean, so I think I think he's alive. Or DB Vice and David Benioff can kiss my capacious Caucasian ass, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. Like those those are the options. But what do you think? I I think I kind of think he's going to die because of that. 
because of oh that really sort of, because because <laughs> they cause don't all, give a shit about their audience well well because because <laughs> like the game of thrones for a while has made a name for itself sort of subverting conventional expectations with what happens with characters so it kind of feels mm. like the character of the series to bring someone back after all this time and within two episodes is dead um, yeah but they uh, stopped doing that recently like yeah. they've they've they you know there hasn't been a red wedding for a while and I mean, as as we have, I won't go back to it, Matt. I won't go back to my feelings on the fact that Jamie is still alive. I won't do it. But, <laughs> but, but um, mm. you know, they have stopped missing, stopped taking those opportunities. Um, and also, they when they did that with like the red wedding and stuff, it happened, and Joffrey as well. It happened when there'd been this long investment in a character, and the point of it was to pull that rug out from underneath you. Gendry's mm. got no long investment at all. He he was in what was he in four five episodes way back when, and they've just brought him back. That's not the same thing at all. They're bringing him back in order to kill him. That's almost the opposite of what they used to do, which is invest in a character for a long time and then shock you with his death. This would be bringing the character back just in order to kill him, and quite transparently so. Well, um, well, not 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 transparently so because you're saying you'd be really surprised if he died because that goes against what you'd expect. Oh, I, I, you've got me there. Fair enough. But so like, I, I, but I suppose, think, yeah, you're right. There's two different ways of doing it, but I think they'd both be like shocking you with their deaths. I agree. It'd be strange. I, it'd be strange. I wouldn't call it. I, I wouldn't. Yeah, strange is the. I wouldn't be shocked. I would think that they were falling short of their own high standard if they did it that way. Is my mm. thing. So I think. I think you found a third option there, which would also enrage me. So either <laughs> he stays alive, or. One of the one he, he stays alive, and either he gets killed or he stays alive, both for really bullshit reasons. Um, <laughs> like would re- would really really wind me up. So I suppose what I'm saying is I'm angry already. And I <laughs> so are, are you going to say survive with a like? But you're standing there tapping your feet. Um, yeah, folded, that's exactly so what I'm doing. Survive. <laughs> I'm giving it the full on Sonic the Hedgehog when you haven't played with the controller for a couple of minutes. Foot tapping, eye rolling, looking directly out the screen and daring them to make my day. <laughs> uh, well, I, I think he's gone. Good night, Vienna, for Gendry. Sorry, Gendry, if I just returned. <laughs> um, Tormund. This is the one for me which I'm, com- I'm the most on the fence. I can't decide, but what about you? I think they put if they again if they put all that time into the sort of low key bubbling under romantic looks yeah at Brienne purely so that he could have that line in this episode and a couple of punchlines in the episodes before yeah. again that would be fairly underpowered and i would find that disappointing also because he's now my favorite face of phone card services in the uh, prairie region <laughs> of west canada so like if he dies i don't know what i'm gonna do matt i'll I'll be i'll be heartbroken yeah i think i'm gonna just lean towards survive here because a like you said about the brienne thing that still hasn't really been resolved and b um kind of he's our only recognizable wildling isn't he so if he dies we don't really have any wildlings left yeah, and and again, that's a whole world that's had so much invested in it, and you have mm. to you have to have like I, th- I think there is a difference between really investing in a character and investing in an entire society and having them wiped out, right? Mm. And they've already had to do that once with Dawn because they screwed Dawn up so badly. Mm. Um, but I actually think they did the the they did the wildlings really really well, 
And so, again, I would be sad. I wouldn't be blown away, mm. but I'd be sad. So do you think he's going to survive? I do, yeah. yeah no, maybe they so. won't because they are bastards. Oh, maybe I do. <laughs> No, do you know what? Do you know what? I think we need to introduce a little bit of clear blue water between you and me on this because we're both so invested in these characters for the same <laughs> reasons. So, fuck it. Tormund dies. Tormund gone. Okay. Tormund gone with his marmalade mane. He's done for. <laughs> uh, so, Jorah. Uh, toast. Surely toast. All them, you know, the Khaleesi's just got him back. He's leaned yeah. in and given it the old... Khaleesi. He's got nothing to live for apart from his queen, who has commanded him to go forth and fight these utter slags. He's yeah. done for. Toast. Yeah, I got a. There's a whiff of Sebaristan about Jorah now, isn't there? There is, series. isn't there? Yeah, well said. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think he, it might be sort of a take this message back to Khaleesi and then, you know. Yeah. <sighs> um, finally, the hound. Um, I, I've said what I, I think with this one. I reckon he, I, I kind of think he's gonna he's gonna get killed. But then I think I think we're gonna get an undead hound. That's my sort of out, out of the. Out oh, of the box, and then Tim and Foyle then the hound prediction. and the mountain will end up fighting each other as undead badass. Undead and undead, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's definitely it's that, happening. That's, it's that's happening. My, yeah, I, I you know what? Sod clear blue water. I am on board that train <laughs> with you, Matt. Whooping and hollering all the way back to King's Landing with a zombie in the trunk. <laughs> Okay. Oh, I think we. That's it. Hang on. Hang on. I've got it. I flipping got it. The hound gets killed, gets resurrected. He's the zombie that they bring back, oh. and then it's zombie on zombie times. There you go. There you go. I tell you what. If that isn't what happens, it's what should happen. So. <laughs> <laughs> I think. We've, I think. We've, I think between us, we've come up with quite a good good plot line there. But um. Yeah, that's pretty good. They should hire us. Yeah. <laughs> So we I mean, we we agree on five of the seven. So it's just going to be the fate of Gendry and Tormund, which decides um, who gets most of them right. But I think as much, it's just going to be it's going to be interesting to go back to them next week and just see what's happened in the light of what we what we both said about each of them. Absolutely. Um, and, and and as we said, yeah, the collection of red shirts behind. The, <laughs> Don't even bother naming them. Don't even bother. <laughs> Forget it. Forget it. Imagine if Gendry died and one of those guys stepped up and suddenly, like, he's a character. He'd be like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I am God drunk of <laughs> the Blackwater. <laughs> I am flingity flang of uh, improvised plot thoughts. I am Wimplestaff of the House Wildlingus. <laughs> <laughs> Wildlings. <laughs> <laughs> oh right on that bombshell. I think we've made our predictions. We'll lie in them. Um, Absolutely. If you've got any predictions to make, I mean, there isn't. I think by the time this comes out, I think you'll probably know. So there's probably not much point putting this this out there. But if you want to get in touch, as ever, sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com That's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com And you can find us on Twitter at sharkliveroil or on the Facebook. Dave, until next week, we await until next week, Matt. with fear for the seven. <laughs> <laughs> All right.